Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 1, it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. I am the Lord your God. And I'll just stop right there just real quick as I was studying today. You know, that I am the Lord your God. What he's saying, I am the Lord Yahweh. We know that was the, the Hebrew name for uh, or the, the Lord's name in Hebrew as they wrote it out. And he was saying, I am the Lord. I am the supreme king, your God. I am the Lord of all lords. That's why it's all caps. I am Yahweh, your God. And, and as I was reading, it's interesting. That word as a title, it says it before at the, at the beginning of this chapter and at the end. And it carries, obviously, authority, but when he says, I am the Lord your God, and then he gives instruction, uh, it, it, it's supposed to provoke a response. So every time you see, I am the Lord your God, and then the Lord says something, he is expecting a response. So just a little side note there. Verse 3, so do not act like the people in Egypt where you used to live or like the people of Canaan where I'm taking you. You must not imitate their way of life. You must obey all my regulations and be careful to obey my decrees, for I am the Lord your God. And he says it again right there. If you obey my decrees and my regulations, you will find life through them. I am the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the Lord, our God, that you are the supreme master, our king, our savior, Lord, that uh, that you are our God. You are the, the Lord above all lords, king above all kings. You've made the heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them, and you've so graciously given us your word, given us your spirit. So I ask, Lord, by your spirit that you lead me and guide me as I present your word and and, and, and help all of us as we hear your word, Lord God, uh, to uh, lead us into all truth, to provoke us, to change, to convict us, challenge us, strengthen us, and grow us in our faith tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This chapter primarily, if you read the rest of this chapter and you read on, it primarily discusses uh, sexual matters and warning against engaging in pagan practices, both religious and secular. So these first five verses in Leviticus that I read to you encourage us to pursue holiness in everyday life. And as I was reading through this a few weeks ago, I'd actually been developing this message for a couple of weeks and thought I might share it last week. But then the Tuesday before, the Lord gave me something ever and I went in a different direction. But as I was reading through this again, and as those of y'all that was here last week, you remember I shared the scripture in Corinthians that says that everything in the Old Testament were examples for us. You remember you here, I shared that before I talked about Rahab. And so as you look at these... I thought it's interesting, most of us know that in verse 3 when he says uh, Egypt, he says not to act like the people in Egypt. Egypt represents the world that we've come out of since the Lord has saved us. Amen? Y'all know that if you're not you're familiar with that, you know, Pharaoh is a picture of, of the devil. Egypt is a picture of the world. We were enslaved to sin. And Moses was a type and shadow of Jesus as like a savior that took them out of the world. So when you look at that and he says, don't act like the people of Egypt. And so we're going to start, uh, uh, you know, applying this to our lives. Don't act like the people of the world that you've come out of. The, like I was talking about Rahab last week. She was a prostitute. And, and the lifestyle and the town that she lived in, the, those people, that way she you know when she got brought out of Jericho and she lived amongst the Israelites she got married and which we talked about so she left and didn't didn't act like she didn't she wasn't a prostitute anymore when she came out so the Lord's showing us telling us that when we get saved we shouldn't Im imitate and act like the people maybe that we hung around or that the things that we did before and then he says uh, nor Act like the people in the land of Canaan I'm sending you to. And as they were sending them, as we saw last week as well, uh, in Jericho is part of what um, 
He was giving them the promised land in Canaan, but they had a bunch of pagan people in the land too. So he said, don't act like them as well. And, and, and I believe Canaan represents the world we still live in now. It's like if you think about it, like for example, for me, uh, you know, I used to be in the bars and go out and drink and drug and do all that. So obviously when I got saved, you know, I didn't do any of those things anymore. But I still, I was a painter for a living. So I still worked in construction. So there was still a lot of lost people around me in my workplace every day, right? There were still lost people when I'd go to the gym or, or go to the ballpark or go to a football game. You know, there, there's, a, there's a lot of that. So in our everyday life, I believe Canaan represents the world we live in now, in our workplace, in our school, in the places we go. So we know that everywhere we go, there's going to be unsaved lost people around us, right? And so in these verses of Scripture, the Lord was telling the Israelites and is telling us not to act like these people, not to imitate them. Not to be influenced by them. He has given us regulations and decrees to obey in life. In other words, the Lord has set boundaries for us. Would you say? He has given us boundaries in our lives. And a couple of weeks ago in her message on Mother's Day, Tanya said this. She said, boundaries are a place established by God to help protect us. Isn't that true? Boundaries are a place established by God to help protect us. Um, as those of us that as parents know that we set boundaries for our kids. They don't always like it. They don't understand it. Um, you know, but as soon as they stick their finger in that socket, they will understand why, right? Touch that hot stove, whatever the case may be. I begin to think about this today. I mean, you know, there's sometimes where our human nature, we don't like boundaries, but aren't you glad they have boundary lines on the road when you're driving, right? If there was no lines, things would get pretty crazy pretty quickly. Actually, if you've ever been to a third world country, maybe I've gone on a mission trip, been to Mexico, somewhere in Central America, I think they had lines at one time (laughs) on their roads, but their lines get very blurry. And believe me, I, it's, it's crazy to, to, to drive in, in Central America in these third world countries. Matter of fact, I think it was the last mission trip I went on. We were in Dominican Republic and we had two big charter buses and a motorcycle slammed into the side of our bus. And it's just crazy chaos. There's really no lines. You just kind of get in where you fit in. Boundaries are there to protect us. Sunday, this past Sunday, Pastor Todd uh, was talking about budgeting our finances. Budgeting is boundaries for our money, right? That's what budgeting is, is boundaries for our money. But, you know, not only are boundaries there to protect us, but are also set up to benefit us and keep us from getting distracted. Like he was saying, and like Tanya was saying two weeks ago, you know, we look at them as restrictions, but they're not. Paul says it the best in 1 Corinthians as he was correcting the Corinthian letter was a letter of, of instruction and in correcting the Corinthian church and what they were doing. And listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 7.35. He says, I am saying this for your benefit. Not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. See, that's the Lord's heart all the way from Genesis to Deuteronomy to Leviticus. When we look at all these do's and don'ts in the Bible, I believe that's the Lord's heart right there. It's not to restrict us, but it's to benefit us and help us serve the Lord with fewest distractions as possible. That's why the Lord has set up boundaries. Not to restrict us, but to protect us, to benefit us, and to bless us. So tonight, I believe this message will help you. Uh, those of you that maybe have just gotten saved, you've gotten saved recently, uh, or maybe you saved and uh, you've been saved a long time and maybe slacked off on some of these areas uh, and maybe think it's not a big deal. I want to remind you tonight that it is a big deal. Living in the boundaries that God has set when it comes to sin and, and, and when, when, when he's encouraging us to pursue holiness, it's a big deal. 
It has always been a big deal, and it always will be a big deal. Amen? Do you all agree with that? Okay, even if you don't, I'm going to keep going. 2 Peter 1, 2 and 13 says this. As I, I love this scripture. As I, I like to share when, when I, I just I feel the Lord stirred me up to, to, to play this and I, to, to preach this, and I hope it does for you. 2 Peter 1, 12 says this. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. So you might know all of this stuff tonight and have established have been established in the truth which is present with you. And I will consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling. What he's saying is as long as I am alive to stir you up by way of reminder. So I pray tonight that even if you know all this stuff, you'll be stirred up to either continue to do these things or begin to do these things that we're going to talk about. Amen? So tonight's title is kind of like a little formula. Obedience plus boundaries equals life and blessings. Obedience plus boundaries equals life and blessings. So I want to give you a few ways to work this formula out. Number one, as we see straight from Leviticus, is don't be influenced by the world. Leviticus 18.3 says this, Do not act like the people in Egypt where you used to live or like the people of Canaan where I'm taking you. You must not imitate their way of life. As I just said that, I just had a thought. You know, really... Especially with media nowadays, our, our society has become very influential, would you say? I, I believe that we're, 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 um, we're very much influenced. Matter of fact, this was years ago. I was still a youth pastor. I might have been on staff two or three years. So this was seven to eight years ago. Me and Pastor Todd went to a conference and it was for youth pastors and senior pastors. And one of a well-known youth, uh, youth leader for years and years, he said this, statistics have shown, this was seven, eight years ago, statistics have shown that children, uh, now, be, uh, there's been no other time in history except for now in this last decade or so that children are influenced from more outside of the home than they are from inside of the home. And I remember the little graphic on the syllabus they gave us, and it was a teenager sitting in a circle, and he had a phone, he had a laptop, he had a TV, and he had a magazine open. And, and, and the influence, you know, that this, that society brings upon our children, but also upon us, because we have so many media outlets nowadays. Now we have with our phone, I don't even think back then they might have, they might have had iPhones. I don't remember what, you know, it might have, you know, but between iPhones and the internet, you know, and social media, TV, so many media outlets, the, the, the world can be very influential. The Bible commands us not to be influenced by the world. We are called Christians, right? The word Christian means Christ-like. So it means we should act like Christ and not like the world. That's another very simple formula, right? It, this can be how we talk, how we dress, where we go, how we treat people. And I think this is probably the greatest thing about the influence of the world. It's what we desire. Because you see, amen, thank you, baby. We don't, we don't even have to necessarily do the same things that the world, when I say the world, I mean people that are lost, people that are living in outright sin, outright disobedience, blatant rebellion against the word of God. We might not even have to do some of these things or say some of these things and act in the way that they are. Even if we desire these things, it'll get us in trouble. And I want to show you that from Numbers. If, you know, you, you, in Numbers chapter 11 and verse 6, again, here's the Israelites and they're, they're traveling. And listen what it says. Numbers 11.4 says, Then the foreign rabble who was traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Israel. So this is some of the same people that the Lord warned them about. 
And, 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 and he, was, he was warning them. He was telling them before and after Egypt, he, you know, or during this whole process of traveling the wilderness and the promised land, he warned them about these people. Uh, and, he, and it says, they begin to crave the good things of Egypt. So then it says this, and the people of Israel also begin to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish that we used to eat for free in Egypt. We had all the, the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. We want it. That sounds like a good ingredient for a gravy right there, for good brown gravy. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. Did you catch that? It was the foreigners among them first that started craving the things of the world, quote unquote. The things back in Egypt. They begin to desire this. And what happens? They were influenced by foreign people around them from people from the world. And they begin to crave and desire the same thing too. But there was something very interesting. It said, oh, we had all this food for free. Did you catch that word in there? He said, we had all this free food back in Egypt. But you see, the food was free because they weren't. They weren't free back in Egypt. They were slaves. But you see, they started desiring all these things because of, a, of, a, of an evil influence, and they forgot about their slavery. It's like, oh man, all this food was free, but you were not. See, I think we can learn a lesson from this. Sometimes we desire to do the things or get the things or get the pleasure we had from back then, but we forget we were slaves back then. I mean, I'll be honest, sin is fun. Some sin feels good. That's why we did it. But we, we can't forget that we were in bondage back then. It felt good to do drugs and drink. At the time, the buzz, for, the high felt good. But it left me in bondage. And it left me with a headache and throwing up and not remembering the night before every next morning. We forget about those. And I'm just using that as an example. But don't forget that. Let's not us forget. Let us not be influenced by the world and desire and crave some of these things. Because just like the Israelites, the food was free, but they wasn't. Those things might have felt good and tasted good, but we wasn't free. We were slaves. That's why this is a great picture. The Israelites in, in Egypt, we were slaves. We got to remember not to be influenced by the world and what they're saying and what they're doing. James 4, 4 and 5. I know I'm, 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 I'm shooting straight. So as Pastor Todd was wondering on Sunday, he was like, man, you're still going to let me pass it and all that. I think I'm just keeping on his vein. I'm just shooting straight. Amen. I think we need to hear messages like this once in a while. Not all the time. It's not all about, you know, but, but you know what? We as a church, as, as the bride of Christ, I believe we need to pursue holiness. Would you agree? I don't think we should look like everybody else. We should look and act different. We should desire different, right? James 4, 4 and 5 says, you adulterers. Man, James, you're so encouraging. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? And then he says it again. I, love, I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. I'm shooting straight because the Bible shoots straight. I'm just presenting the word of God. He's making it very clear. It can't be both. You can't be influenced and running with the can't be influenced by and running with the world and be be uh, in fellowship with God. It can't happen. Paul talks about that later, earlier, and everything too. Look at James one twenty seven. It says this: the worship that God wants is this: caring for orphans or widows 
who need help. And Pastor Todd talked about that Sunday about, you know, helping out in our finances and helping them in time. That's, that's part of that. But listen to this. And I hear that quote a lot, and that's great. I hear, man, this is true religion, brother. It's, and that's great. He, they're right. Absolutely right. It's helping orphans and widows. But, you know, I very seldom hear the second part. And keeping yourself free from the world's evil influence. This is the kind of worship that God accepts as pure and good. So we got to make sure. It's easy to throw money at orphans and widows, but in the exact same sentence, he said, and keep yourself, some say, don't, don't get uh, defiled by the world, but don't be influenced by the world. It says in this translation, don't be influenced or, or keep yourself free from the world's evil influence. So again, it's all about that. I think they coincide. You see, when your heart's right and when you're living in purity, I believe the more we walk in purity and holiness, the more we're going to want to help orphans and widows and do it in purity. Do it in a pure heart, not just with our money, but our time and have true compassion. I think, you know, I know all this stuff works together. It all coincides that when you're walking and living in purity, you want to do things with a pure motive. Are y'all tracking with me? Am I making sense tonight? So number one, don't be influenced by the world. Number two is we must remove what remains from the old life. Well, we must remove everything that remains from the old life. And, and I can reference back to my message last week about radical redemption and seeing the great story of Rahab and how, you know, again, she was actually removed. But again, that it, as it records it, she begins the rest of the New Testament where she's known as a Rahab the prostitute. But then later on, she's, she's in the hall of faith. She's likened to be a woman of faith and was proven to be right with God by what she did. So obviously she was removed from the city, but she removed that lifestyle and the, the things she was doing in her life. Look at Numbers chapter 33 and verse 55. It says this. But if you fail to drive out the people who live in the land, those who remain will be like splinters in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will harass you in the land where you live. I think that's pretty plain right there. And, and, and it, some of this is people. I know when I got saved, I literally had to remove some people from my life. Have y'all had to do that too? There were some people, most people, that I used to run with that I couldn't run with anymore. Because if I did, I knew it would continue to hinder my Christian walk. It would be, you know, uh, a splinter in my eye and thorns in my side. I mean... Yeah, sometimes we think that we can keep things hanging around in our lives, but it won't, and it won't affect us, even the little things. But listen, if it's sin, it will. There's no two ways about it. If we're, we're leaving some kind of sinful or outright disobedience to God, to God's word, it will affect us. Look at the wording again he uses. Splinters, thorns, it will harass you. You like having splinters and thorns in your life? No. Anybody, if you have a splinter in your finger, your hand, or, or, you know, or whatever, just, you know, nobody likes being harassed, right? It, if, if we let it hang around, it will. You know, uh, and y'all have heard me use this illustration, but I, but I keep going back to it. You know, having, having a pet sin is like having a pet tiger. Both people are surprised when it bites them. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever saw, and I've said that for years, I remember seeing them for a few, these guys train tigers and all these things, and they have them for years, and then, you know, they, 
one day the tiger or lion, whatever it may be, just freaks out on him, turns around and attacks him and bites him. And then they're on, they're, they're interviewing him later and they're like, I don't know what happened. This has always been a sweetheart. She's always been good. And, and I don't know why she freaked out and attacked me. And they're all bandaged and bloody. Dude, it's a tiger. It's a lion. It's made to be in a wild, not your pet. You get the small cats to be your pet. Not the big ones, right? Or the guy always even liking it too. You ever see these guys that put their head in the alligator and they, they leave their head? And this one guy, the thing is, is that their tongues trigger. If they're even a fly or something gets, and this one guy put his head one time I saw and he wiped his sweat, but he forget to wipe the other side. And he had his head in the alligator and one drop of sweat fell on the alligator's tongue and snapped down on his head. And everybody's freaking out. I'm like, Cause I would not put my head in an alligator. I have a hard time having compassion for people. At maybe I'm wrong, but that's just me. <laughs> Cause I'm like I would never do that, you know. Um, but you know, we do that in essence spiritually. Some Christians walk around once in a while putting their head in an alligator's open mouth, or petting this big old Bengal tiger, and then eventually it's gonna harass us. And it might even turn around and attack us and destroy us. And so we got to make sure, just as he told the Israelites, to make sure you remove everything. Are they going to continue to be a splinter? It will hang around. It will hinder your walk. It might hinder your relationships, your marriage, your relationships in the church. It could hinder your finances. It could hinder your health, mentally, emotionally, all, all those areas. We must remove it from our lives. Look at Romans 13, 11 through 13. I always try to bring a New Testament as well. And you can see as Paul continues this on throughout the New Testament. He says this. This is all the more urgent. For you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up for your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shiner arming Armor of right living. So even Paul says, remove the dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shine. And remember, these books were to the church. So as I'm standing up here tonight to you, Paul was saying the same thing to the church in Rome. He was saying, listen, we must, you, you cannot keep doing these same things as a Christian that you were doing before. Amen? Y'all still with me? See anybody with a tomato next to him? Number three, continue to obey God's word. In every stage of life. I think this is that, that, that second part of this point is more key than just obeying God's word. I want to hone in on that. Continue to obey God's word in every stage of life. No matter how old you are. No matter how long you've been a Christian. Continue to obey the word of God every stage. Leviticus 8.4 says this. You must obey all the regulations and be careful to obey my decrees for I am the Lord your God. As I was studying this afternoon... The phrase, be careful, really popped out to me. Be careful. We need to carefully read and obey God's word. I've counseled many people, and they're going through a struggle, and whenever I encourage them, like, well, you know what the word of God says? Yeah, 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 I know what that says. I'm like, okay. You might know what it says, but obviously you're not walking it out in your life. We need, we need, to, we need to take this book seriously. We need to take the word of God. We need to carefully obey what it is that one, know what the word of God says, and then apply it to our lives. Handle it with care. Be careful knowing that our life and the production of our life hangs on it. Amen? 
Look what Ephesians 5, 10 and 11 says. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. And then he goes, so just that. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. So here's Paul speaking to the Ephesian church. And he says, we must carefully determine what pleases the Lord. In the very next line, he basically tells them to stay away from sin. To, to, to take no part in worthless deeds. And if you keep reading that, he said, don't even mention the gods, the false gods of, of the, the people that don't serve the Lord. He goes as far as saying that. So the way that we carefully, the way that we determine what pleases the Lord is what? It's through his word, right? It's through his word. We're, we can carefully determine what, what I wonder what, what, what the Lord would say about this. Man, crack open that book and find out. You got 66 books, you got many chapters on life. Again, the Word of God is acting, active, living, uh, and sharp in any two edged sword. It's actively working in our life. It's not out of date, it's not out of style. The, the, the Word of God is still so 100% relevant for our day and age. Amen? And you have to realize that, you have to know that, and to realize that what, what pleases the Lord hasn't changed from 2,000 years ago. The same things still please the Lord now. What breaks the Lord's heart still back then still breaks the Lord's heart today. And we can see again our culture is trying to influence that and try to redefine what marriage looks like and what it's supposed to be like. And, and the culture is changing. What God says is marriage back then is still marriage today. What God says is sexual immorality then is still the same today. Amen? And that's across the board. For homosexuals, for heterosexuals that are having sex outside of marriage, sexual immorality is still sexual immorality. That stuff is still a three-letter word in the Bible called sin. It still is. It's called sin. And we must determine, if you're not sure, well, you know, there's some churches that are saying that, that it's okay. There's some people, my friends here, that say it's all right, that, well, it, it, nowadays it's, it's a little different. Go to the Word of God and carefully determine how you should personally please him. And he'll lead you. If you're not sure, ask one of us, hey, what does the Bible say about this? We always say, we're a non-denominational Bible-believing church. I have friends that ask me that are not in church. Like, hey, what does your church believe about this? Hey, what does your church believe about that? One guy even asked me, hey, can y'all have TVs when you go to your church? I'm like, yeah, I got a big TV at my house. It's not what our church believes about it. It's what the Bible says about it. And I tell people, we believe what the Bible says. We get our answers, our standard, and, and, and we determine what we believe is right according to the word of God. Psalm 119.9 says this, How can a young person stay pure? By obeying the word of God. So as we're pursuing holiness and purity, it, the psalmist makes it very clear. The way you do that is by obeying God's word. If you obey God's word, young people more mature people, as Pastor Todd said? Let me ask a question. Is this way only for young people? Is it only for young people to stay pure? He's addressing young people. But no, it's not. Of course not. So we need to continue to obey God's word in every stage of life. And that's why I'm just challenging. I just felt stirred up to challenge you. If you've been saved, if you're brand new, you're saved. If you're a younger person, if you've been saved a long time and older, you know, don't get lax. Don't let down your guard. Don't stop pursuing holiness and purity. Amen? Continue to obey God's word in every stage of life. And then the fourth one, 
I'm going to end on a, on a, on a, a higher note, so to speak. I think all these notes are high. I think it's, it's like Pastor Todd says again, it's tight, but it's right. Amen? Because it's the word of God. Number four, you will find life in these limits. You will find life in these limits. God has put limitations or boundaries or, or regulations, however you want to look at it. But the Bible encourages us that we'll find life if we obey them. Leviticus 18.5, if you obey my decrees and my regulations, you will find life through them. And he puts a stamp on it again. I am the Lord. I am the king of kings, the highest reigning king in all the universe. Obedience to God's word is not to restrict us, but to give us life. And so just in case, maybe there's nobody in here, but just in case you've been thinking tonight, well, brother, you're reading out of the law. You're right. I have been reading out of the Levitical law tonight. My main text has come out of Leviticus, and this is Levitical law that he's given to the, to the children of Israel. But listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. Moses wrote the five first books of the Bible. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. And what was his purpose? John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I came that you may have what? Life and have it abundantly. So even though my main text was out of Leviticus tonight, Jesus said, I come to fulfill the law. And his purpose for coming was to give us life, right? It all coincides, the Old Testament, New Testament, the Torah, the prophets, the Psalms, Proverbs, all of the New Testament. You know, it, he, he, he came to fulfill. Listen, these, these, these boundaries, these limitations give us life. We flourish. We, we think that it restricts us and it causes us when we're not going to have freedom. I didn't have freedom until I came under these boundaries. I thought I was free to do what I want, but my life didn't really start till I started submitting myself and obeying the word of God. How many else, can anybody else in here testify about that? Say, man, I have, I found life and life more abundantly. Even that, let me ask you this. He says, I found life. I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Let me ask you a question. You might've heard this question posed this way. Which side of the comma are you living on? Not only life, Jesus said, I've come to give you abundant life. Some translations said, I've come to give you life to the fullest. Like he said, I want to I give you the maximum life you can live. I want you to live life at your full 100% potential. Full throttle. Wide open, so to speak. Are y'all, y'all, y'all tracking with me? That's, that's the picture that Jesus is trying to say. So in the limits, in the boundaries he's given us, it's so we can flourish. So our life can flourish. So we can flourish in this life and in these Limits or parameters or boundaries that he's given us. So in closing, I want to, uh, I want to read, uh, I want to close by reading a portion of Joshua's farewell speech to, to Israel as he's getting ready to die. I just finished reading through the book of Joshua again. Um, and this is, this is towards the end of the book and he's, he's about to die and he's given them their, his farewell speech. And, and again, you know, you look at the first five books of the Bible, it's known as the Torah. Moses wrote that, the law and whatnot. Joe, uh, Joshua, Moses uh, uh, 
mentor, Joshua was his assistant, and then, you know, he raised him up to take over as leader of Israel, and the Lord blessed him, spoke into his life. He did so. They conquered many, many lands. That's what we read last week. They were conquering Jericho, um, and then he allotted, if you read through Joshua, he gave them their allotments of land and told them uh, where, you know, this land is for this tribe, that land is for that tribe, and, and whatnot. So he did all of that. His life is ending. He's giving him his farewell speech. In Joshua 23, verses 6 through 8, he says this. So be very careful. There's that word again. Be very careful to follow everything Moses wrote in the book of instruction. Do not deviate from it, turning either to the right or to the left. Even that, as I just read that tonight, I just think about how people try to tweak in kind of the word of God. Even Joshua's making it clear. Don't do that. Don't deviate. Don't try to tweak it for our day and age. Don't let the, the, the culture influence you. I know I keep coming back to this, but as I read it, I'm just reading it. I'm like, man, it just, he's, he's making it clear. Don't deviate from the right or to the left. Stick with it. Carefully follow it. Make sure you do not associate with the other people still remaining in the land. Do not even mention the names of their gods, much less swear by them or serve them or worship them. This is what I read all that to read this last part. This is the last part I want to close with. Rather cling tightly to the Lord your God as you have done until now. The way that we continue to pursue holiness and live a holy life of blessing and full of life and, and, and be able to live in, uh, uh, in, in, in uh, obedience and in the boundaries is by clinging tightly to the Lord. Is by, by clinging to him, relying on him, trusting in him. That's how we do this. I love how it says cling tightly to the Lord. Some of you are already doing this, and I want to encourage you. All these things we're talking about, you might say, hey, Brandon, I'm tracking with you. I'm on course. Praise the Lord. I want to encourage you to continue to do that. Some of you may need to repent tonight and ask the Lord to help you clean up some areas in your life. And as I've been talking tonight, you know who you are, and you probably know what those things are. I can rattle off a list of things that those may be, but especially if you're a born-again believer and you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit speaking to you and he's convicting you of things that either you knew were in your life that you need to release or maybe that you didn't know and he might have brought to the surface tonight. It might be you've been being influenced by the world or there's some things you need to remove from your life. Maybe you haven't been totally obedient to his word. If you haven't been, you know, they say partial obedience is disobedience. Maybe you haven't been totally obedient to the word of God. I want to encourage you as you read the word, as the Lord speaks something to you, to obey. You know, I think about, I was talking about Dr. Cho this week. Dr. Uh, David uh, Cho in Seoul, South Korea, um, has the largest church in the world, powerful church, not just numbers. Uh, and they asked him how he grew a church that big. He prays three hours a day, and then he prays all day on Saturday as he prepares for Sunday. And they asked him, he's like, Dr. Cho, how did you do all this? And he says this, this little Asian man, he says, I pray and I obey. That was his answer of how the Lord used him to grow this huge ministry. I pray and I obey. Maybe you've had a wrong mindset and looked at these things as restriction instead of life-giving. Maybe that's you tonight. You're like, man, you read stuff. Why I can't do this? Why I can't? Why I can't do that? Why I can still be a Christian? And do that? Maybe you, you've you've looked at it with the wrong mindset. And I pray you have a different mindset tonight. If you if you looked at uh, 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 the boundaries and guidelines that God has given us, that they're life given. 
you must cling tightly to the Lord to accomplish all these things. Why don't you go ahead and stand up with me as we close. <clears throat> so maybe you're one, one of these, these uh, few that I just mentioned. But, but there, and there's one more thing. As, I, as we, we must cling tightly to the Lord to live a holy life, to live in purity, to pursue holiness on a day-to-day basis. We must cling to the Lord for this life, to have an abundant life as we live on this earth. But we also must cling tightly to him in order to gain eternal life. Listen to what John 3.16 says in the Amplified Version. I want to read it in the Amplified. It says this, For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten unique son, so who that so that whoever believes and that word believes means to trust look at that to cling to and to rely on that's what the word believes to believe to, in Jesus to get to heaven the word believe means to trust to cling to and rely totally on him if you do him shall not perish shall not perish which means to come to destruction or be lost eternally but but have eternal everlasting life go ahead and leave that on the screen Doug if you don't mind so so if you have not assured your eternal life if you've maybe been looking at other ways I want you to look at that scripture for a minute maybe you've been coming to church for a while and you say well man I think I'm going to heaven I come to church I even read my Bible once in a while I've, I've given some money to like you talking about orphans or widows and those kind of things all those things are great I want to encourage you to keep on doing that but John 3.16 makes it clear that the way that we enter into eternal life, the way that we are saved, the way that we are made right with God is that we have to repent of our sins and then believe him. And again, just as, as Christians, we have to trust him and cling to him and rely on him to live a holy and a pure life. We must do the same thing. We must trust in, cling to, and rely on only and solely on Jesus Christ and the finished work of the cross. So I want everyone to bow their head. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask tonight, if there's anyone in here that you would say, you know what, Brandon, you know, I haven't fully cling to the Lord. I haven't believed in him. I haven't, I haven't trusted in him and relied totally on the finished work at Calvary. What does that mean? What, is, what do I mean by the finished work of the cross? Just to explain a little more simple, we all broke God's laws. We read some of God's instruction, His commands, and you know, we've all broken them. We've, we've all messed up. And Jesus, what the Bible is saying right here is that God loved us so much, He sent Jesus, His only, you know, unique, begotten Son, prized Son, to die in our place. And He loved us so much to say, you know what, instead of you being destroyed and lost forever, I'm going to send my son in your place. So if you believe in him, you'll not be destroyed and not be lost. You'll be forgiven. You'll be saved. You'll be redeemed, radically redeemed, as we talked about last week. And you'll spend everlasting, never-ending eternal life with him. But every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, Brandon, I'm not sure, I'm not secure that, that I'm going to spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. I've, I've put my hopes in maybe good works, that I've been a good person, or that I've come to church enough, but I haven't solely trusted in Jesus. If I die tonight, I don't know if I'd be right with the Lord, if, I, if I'd spend everlasting life with him. If you're not 100% sure tonight, just slip up your hand. I'd like to pray with you tonight. If that's you, I see your hand back there, young man. Anybody else? I see your hand right here, young lady. 
Praise God. Anyone else? Keep your hands up if you don't mind. Come on. Lift your hands to the Lord. Just be bold. And we're going to pray with you. You say, I, I want to make sure I'm right with God. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? We're going to wait. We're going to wait for anyone else that wants to get right with God. Those, those of you that raised your hand, come on. I want you to just pray this. And I want you to pray it out loud. I want you to pray it out loud. If you believe it in your heart, again, he said, if you trust and you rely on what you're about to say, that Jesus died for you, the Bible says you will be saved. And we're, we're going to pray with you as a church family. I want you to pray out loud. I want you to mean it. But we're going to pray with, all with you as a family tonight. Come on, just pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for loving me. I thank you, Lord, for dying for me. Lord, I know that I've sinned. I know that I've broken your commands. But Lord, I ask that you forgive me of those sins tonight. I ask that you forgive me for being disobedient. Lord Jesus, I want to be saved. Would you save me? Would you cleanse me? Would you make me pure? Would you make me whole? Lord Jesus, give me the grace and give me the strength to live for you, to walk with you, to be obedient to you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's give him a hand clap tonight. Praise God. Praise God. For those of y'all that raised your hand, I'd love to meet you uh, after the service. We're going to dismiss here in just a few seconds. I'd love to meet you. We'd like to pray for you. If you don't have a Bible, we want to give you a Bible and a gift or any other needs. If you have any other prayer needs tonight, if it's in regards to what the message was about or anything else at all, uh, please come down to the altar. We'd love to stand with you and pray with you. Let me go ahead and pray a blessing over you as, as, as you go tonight. Father, I thank you for all of these, my brothers and sisters that have come tonight. Thank you for their families. I thank you for the blessing that they are. Lord, I pray that we would continue you to live a life that is an abundant life, that is to the fullest, and that we have a desire to walk in and pursue holiness and, and purity, Lord, in our minds, in our words, in our actions, in our lives, in the way we treat others and what we do, Lord, each and every day, that we would carefully determine what pleases you, Lord. Give us a hunger for your word, Lord. Give us a hunger to dive into your word. Give us a thirst for your presence, Father, that we may serve you and commune with you and, and, and be in relationship with you all the days of our lives. Pray that you protect these as they go tonight. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you. You are dismissed. If you need prayer for anything, we'll be down at the altar.